It's all been in vain. The fellowship has failed. So as I said in the beginning, we are talking about community today and the title of the message, Fellowship of the Broken. Um, I, I tried in the beginning of the series to tie in as many times as I could Lord of the Rings, and so now I wanted to visually give you that um, tie-in today. Um, there's a, another great movie uh, from my childhood and from yours called Stand By Me, and a couple quotes at the end of that, at the end of that movie are... Uh, friends come in and out of our lives like busboys at a restaurant. I never had any friends later on in life like the ones I had when I was 12. Does anyone? I think of my life, the community I have surrounded myself growing up as a boy and some of the friends that I had when I was 12 or, or near that age were some of the friends um, that I miss sometimes, um, the, the, the greatest times of my life, some of the great adventures we, we had uh, as boys growing up in the, in the neighborhood. I lived in a suburb that had probably 300 homes in it just tied within, you know, just a block of each other. And we were able to um, go through backyards and, and be a part of a community um, that entire time. And, and so with some of you, you had friends, you had um, people that were close to you at that age, and maybe you don't have friends like that anymore. I had a guy in my office just recently talking about him and uh, this group of friends that he had that were just so close um, forever from, from middle school on. They were just, they were so tight and, and inseparable. So what I want to do real quick is I want to give you a chance again. I know we just greeted, but I want you to maybe share the name of someone that was that for you, that friend for you growing up. Who was it that was your, your circle? Maybe there was a couple guys or a couple girls that were that just the people you hung out with, had the greatest times um, um, and just in that relationship, that community. So take a moment, get to know someone's name there in your, in your, in your row, but just share maybe a name or a couple people's names of they were, they were part of your group. Take a minute. So hopefully you had a moment to, to share some memories or some names uh, of some of the group you hung out with when you were growing up. When, when asked the question, how do we read the Bible, scholar and theologian N.T. Wright says, frequently and thoroughly. Those are the best ways, the most important ways to read it. He also goes on to mention that the Bible wasn't written to be read in small chunks. And so when Matthew writes his gospel, it was designed uh, not to be read in pieces, but to be read as a whole story. 
But because it's very hard for many of us to, to sit for too long, right? Or, or if the church service were to last more than an hour, many of us might start looking for a new church. And so we, we read it in small, small bursts, right? But if that's not how it was meant to, to be read, how do we keep the integrity of the story that Matthew wrote and still get you all out of here in time to get a table at Gaiobito's, right? How do we do that? So my hope is that in, in this message series that we've been in since January, that although each week we are just reading a small part, that week after week um, between uh, the readings, that gives us time to process what we're reading. And each week we're drawn back to the story. We know that Matthew was a disciple who followed Jesus, who was personally there and experienced many of the things he wrote about. We know he didn't write it down until decades later. It was uh, closer to 90 AD when he actually wrote his gospel. It's not the first gospel even written. Uh, Mark was written a couple decades earlier. The church was under persecution at the time and many of the followers of Jesus were being killed. Peter, James, Paul were already dead. And Matthew started, started writing his gospel. And so if you've ever wondered why were these things written down, well, oral tradition was in jeopardy. If they didn't begin to write these things down, there might not be anyone left to tell the story. We know Matthew was a Jewish tax collector. And it's believed that his writing was, was to the Jewish Christians. He wanted to prove to them that this was the Messiah. That this Jesus was the anticipated king. Because at the time there was still a lot of doubt. Uh, that Jesus was who he claimed he was. And so Matthew wanted his, his readers, his listeners to, to believe that this was the son of God. And so Matthew started with the genealogy of Jesus because if this was the Messiah, he would have to show that he was a descendant of Abraham, uh, David and Abraham. I put those names together. Do you see that? Uh, Matthew tells the, the birth account of Jesus, right? And then the last we hear about Jesus until he shows up in the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Now, if you remember, God has not spoken to his people in over 400 years. Malachi was the last prophet that they heard from until John the Baptist, the final Old Testament prophet, comes with a message to the Jewish people to repent. Jesus gets baptized by John and Jesus institutes a new baptism. No longer would it be this ritual of washing where you would ceremonially go into the water dirty and come out clean. But we would identify with Jesus as we come out being named by God. At Jesus' baptism, God spoke these words over Jesus. He said, you are my beloved. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And Jesus went into the waters of baptism not to be cleansed of sin, but to identify with you and, and, you and me as the, being named the beloved. Being called sons and daughters of God. Jesus heard the voice of God, the Father, speak over him. And that is where Jesus places his identity. And you and I, we need to believe that voice. We need to live out of that identity of the beloved. Jesus comes out of the water having heard the voice of God. And he, he heads up onto the mountain to spend some time with God. He spends 40 days fast, fasting and listening to God. And then he's tempted by the devil. And that is where we left off last week. And so let's pick up the story there. Chapter 4 of Matthew. If you have a Bible, turn with me. Chapter 4, starting in verse 12. It said, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went to live in Capernaum, which was by the lake in Zebulun and Nephathah. 
to fulfill what was said with the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Nephali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19 says, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets behind and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis of Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Jesus comes down off the mountain or or comes out of the wilderness. And immediately he forms community. And he calls them by name. He says, John, Andrew, Peter, James, follow me. You belong with me. I'm inviting you to join my circle. And then from there, they do life together. They begin caring for people, healing the sick, feeding the hungry. And they do it as a community, which seems foreign to us now. That's not our our approach to life, right? We want to do it ourselves. And then we want to maybe ask for help. And then if people don't show up, then we pray, right? Jesus had the reverse order. He spent time with God first. Then he invited his friends to join him. And then whatever they did, they did it together. And this is a very similar uh, strategy that we have at the Grove. We call it to reach up, to reach in, and to reach out. That we reach up to God with our worship. That we reach in to, to each other as we grow and we build this community. And together we reach out to the people outside these walls. And so briefly, I want to look at each one of those. First, as we reach up, Jesus started by spending time with God, listening to the voice. But the challenge for you and I in the 21st century is to actually listen to the voice, not just hear it, right? Because everything else in this world wants to name us. And we want to find our identity not in sons and daughters of God, not in being the beloved of God, but in what we do or, or what others say about us or, or what I have when it comes to money or, or status or, or my health. And on top of that, you and I were not good listeners, right? Because we can hear okay. We just don't do well with the, the listening part, right? There's a difference between hearing someone and actually listening to someone, right? My kids hear me. They rarely listen to me, right? It's called selective hearing impaired. Who has it? Yeah, you can't hear me, huh? Well, there's a difference. You know, I I suffer from this as a husband. I got to be honest. Uh, It's a frequency thing, right? There is a certain frequency that I I can't, I can't hear. And so, and unfortunately, that's the frequency of my wife's voice. Um, And and sometimes it doesn't, she's not here today. So that's our secret. Um, But she, she may already know. But, but, but in order to, to live as the beloved, 
in a culture that demands our time and our attention, we must listen to the voice that speaks over our lives. In Latin, the word for listening closely is closely related to the word obedience. Obedience is not a word that we like. We all have issues with authority. Raise your hand if you have an issue with authority. Exactly. Some of you, you know, you can't even raise your hand. Issue with authority, right? And denial. All of us do. And and obedience, all obedience means is that someone who can listen to the voice of the one who calls you the beloved. So to obey God is to hear and listen to his voice. But how do we do this in, in our life? See, I have four kids and I can't hear a thing when I get home, right? You know, I, I canceled our direct TV because there was no point. I, I could never hear the TV, right? And come to think of it, I think that's how I develop selective hearing loss, you know, right? For years, I tried just to focus on the voices of, and shut out everyone else. And, you know, and if it wasn't Stuart Scott or Scott Van Pelt or one of those ESPN guys, I, I could, it's the only voices I could pick up, right? But... If Jody and I ever wanted any quiet time, if we ever wanted to just think, we'd have to make room for it. Either locking ourselves in a room or or leaving the house or or sending the kids outside and locking the door, right? Those are ways that we could get quiet. But if we we do that, but if we just would sit down for a second, nothing was getting done, right? And so we become preoccupied in that moment, which is another word for worrying, right? If the house is quiet, then something's wrong, right? Something is not getting done. Dishes are piling up. Laundry's piling up. And so how do we find time to get along with God, to hear his voice, when you and I literally don't have another second of the day to give to another thing? This last Wednesday, in Night of Theology, we were talking about the Sabbath. And in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we see commandments for keeping the Sabbath, which was a 24-hour period of rest, Not fellowship, not yard work, not golf, not your job. Literally, the Jewish tradition for Sabbath was to not do anything. Exodus, it was a day of rest after six days of creating. In Deuteronomy, it was set aside as a day to remember your deliverance from Egypt. And you all know the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So it would seem that God is sending us a message, right? That we need to set aside time for rest and just listen to him. But do any of us really do it? But then the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and he says in Matthew chapter 11, he says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And so it seems that Jesus was pointing to the act of rest in him, that he came and and, and he was where we found our rest. And the truth is, unfortunately, you and I are too distracted to even hear that voice. And we've lost the connection that we may have once had with Jesus. And so it's no mystery that we start listening to the voices around us. And we begin to find our identity in what I do or what other people say or, or what I have. We no longer listen to the soft whisper, the voice of God or the universe telling us that you are the beloved. That you are the daughter of God. That you are the son of God. And this is going to require discipline for us then. And discipline is another word that we don't like. But discipline is, is ultimately the, the human effort to create space where you can hear God. We are in the season of Lent. The 40 days prior to, to the cross and to the resurrection of, of Jesus that we celebrate on Easter. We need to make time. We need to schedule it. If you're having trouble hearing the voice of God, you need to make effort to tune out the competing voices. 
The next is we reach in. Community. That's where we hear the voice of God. We have to listen together. You must believe that you're the beloved before you can form any real community. We have to know that Jesus uh, believed it. That's what he told his disciples, right? Have you ever wondered how Matthew knew what Jesus told the devil in the wilderness, right? If he was there by himself, how did he know? Well, Jesus must have told the story to the guys, right? At some point, like sitting around the campfire, Jesus goes, hey, quiet down. You got to listen to the story. I got a, I got a good one, guys. So one day I was in the wilderness and the devil showed up. Man, it was awesome. He was trying to throw all the scripture at me. I told him to shut up, go away. It was great. So, I mean, there's this moment where Jesus knew and had authority and and was able to tell the guys, listen, I found time to be alone with God. You need to find it. You need to listen to that voice. Last week, some of you, you got to share your wilderness story. You know, Jesus shared his. And tragically, though, we've we've become a, a socially awkward society. Right? We struggle with, with forming community. We struggle with relationships. We struggle with, with conversations with each other. And I blame this on video games, social media, text messages, and homeschooling, right? Those are, which are all great things. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Seriously. But they're all great. They're all great things. But, and, here, and here's the thing I'll get some emails about that one. So, <laughs> it's okay. Uh, Henry Nouwen uh, tells it best, but he says, listen, any friendship, any relationship, any marriage, any small community, if you don't believe that God loves you, that you are sons and daughters, that you are chosen, that you are beloved, he said, this is what happens. He says, you have one person who is lonely, who is, who is empty. And they, they're saying, I need someone to, to love me. And they're, and they're screaming for affection. And then there's another person who, who is also lonely and, and they're also wanting affection. And so, so they meet and they're wanting and they're, and they're reaching and, and they're like, well, maybe we should hook up. You know, maybe we should, we should get together. Maybe we should, maybe we should live, to, live together. And we get locked into each other out of loneliness. We get tangled in our loneliness. But over time, you realize that, that you're still lonely. And they're not the ones that you had, you had hoped that they would be. Because maybe they don't, they don't understand you. Or, or, and so you begin to say, hey, let's, 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 let's take a break. You know, let's, let's create distance. And then you're like, well, let's try it again. Or let's take a break again. And let, let's try it again. And you begin to form this friction in the relationship. And when our relationships are born out of our loneliness and desire to be with someone, we become very possessive. And our love becomes violent. Hearing becomes overhearing. What did you mean by that? Questions become accusations. Looking tenderly into the eyes of someone becomes looking suspiciously, questioning, doubting. And what was once intended to be an expression of love is now an expression of violence and possessiveness. And the relationship will not survive. But when you truly believe there is a voice that calls you the beloved, you're alone but you're not lonely. You're okay. And if you find another person who truly believes that they are the beloved of God, they are too alone, but they're not lonely. And then when you, you come together with that voice of love, you can form a home. And that voice that was spoken over me recognizes the voice that was spoken over you. And we can love each other. And we can, we can be very close at times, but we can also create space. 
We're leaving room for, 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 uh, for new life to be formed, for friendships to grow, for people to be welcomed, for children maybe to be born. And that is community. The voice of love we, we heard can be heard in the other. That voice calls us together to build homes, to build families, to build community, to build places of love like this church. And listen, I'm not trying to romanticize this for us. This is a big community and it's not easy. I was just talking the other day to someone in my office about a struggle that I have, that I've had with a real desire for people to move away from here. Confession. There have been times I've wanted people to just go, to leave, right? I've never prayed that they would, they would go. I just thought it, right? I just, this is just a thought. But their behaviors may have been destructive for this community, for my family, whatever it was. But there's this honesty that says, you know, hey, community is messy, it's rough. And Palmer, uh, Parker Palmer from the Center for Courage and Renewal says this. Community is that place where the person you least want to live with always lives. Let me read it again. <laughs> community is that place where the person you least want to live with always lives. And then he goes on to add, and when that person moves away, someone else arises to take his or her place, Right? Which is here, we find that. All right. Jesus calls a small group of disciples. We see this in Matthew 4. He calls a small group of disciples together, and one of them betrays him, right? Why would we expect anything less? But the truth is that people like, like that will purify your heart, they'll deepen your love for difficult people. And we can only live in a community if our hearts are deeply rooted in God. The last is, is reach out. If you and I dare to listen to the voice of love and community, you and I will discover very quickly that we are sent out to love people. Our community is not meant to be a safe house from the world, although some churches think it is. That we need to get everyone in here. We need to close the door and not let anyone in. We need to build walls and fences and hoops to jump through. We need to, to write a bunch of statements of faith so people know what we're against, so only those who agree can belong. Jesus calls a community together and he says, I want you to go into the world and proclaim the gospel. Jesus starts his ministry. He goes to the poor, to the sick, to the hungry, to the dying, to the outcasts, to the outsiders, the marginalized people of society. He doesn't start a club that meets on Sunday mornings. And ultimately, that was very funny. Was that kid laughing? And ultimately, you would hear the voice that calls you the beloved in the people you minister to, the people you serve. So whether it's dinner on a Thursday in Asheville with some homeless people or a preschooler once a month on a Sunday or the person you open the door for or the, or the person you help express their love through worship, those are the ones that God has chosen to speak these words of love to you. In the next chapter, we see Jesus say, blessed are the poor in them you will find your blessing. What he's saying is that serving people will give you life. They will give you a sense of God's presence and the blessings that they carry. And you and I are called to, to communion with God. We're called to community with each other, but we're then called to do ministry together. And we need to trust the people who we minister to that will lead us closer and closer to the heart of God. And that is the great joy we have when we serve each other. In community, though, we discover our own weaknesses, our own poverty, 
our, our, our own brokenness. And we're no longer afraid of it. In community, we become aware of our own limitations. And the voice of God says, don't worry. I still love you. Right there in your brokenness. And we become the fellowship of the broken. I want to read you this blog that I found. It says, to know ourselves is a gift of wisdom. No book, self-help, or other could give us. To know who we were is to know who we are. Are you my son? Yes, dad. They told me that Matthew was here, so you are Matt, my son. Yes, dad, I'm your son. I thought you had more hair. I did. I just shaved it off several years ago. Oh, and then the realization of how wrong this moment is, that this isn't a question you ask your child. I'm so sorry, he says, shaking his head. It's okay, I tell him. It's been a while. We were at a family reunion in this awkward moment. I realized that when my father had, and I had exchanged hugs one hour earlier, he didn't know who I was. Perhaps I was a nephew, perhaps one of the in-laws. At the time, I chalked it up to dementia setting in. I could feel it on him over the weekend. But then I wondered if he had been prescribed too much medication for his weakened heart. I found reasons for the oversight to make it less painful. But after several days of walking around in a fog, I knew his words had affected me. How could they have not? There are reasons for everything we've done. Excuses for what we've all had for our sin, indiscretions, and poor character. We've all made mistakes, most of which are connected to a reason our past knows all about. My father's reasons were addiction and abandonment, things I had given him a pardon for long ago. He did the best that he could, given his circumstances. And as I've come to understand my own personal darkness, I no longer wonder what happened, how he could have had, well, how he could have this, or why didn't he just that? It can happen to anyone. If we know what's good for us, we would admit our own indiscretions. Acknowledge that we are all broken, every last one of us. But just because we understand where our pain comes from and how it affects us, and even forgive our offender, doesn't mean it disappears. This is a problem with self-help and daily affirmations. They are not bad per se, but we often try to apply them to deeper issues that they have not a magic wand waved over them. Something powerful was lost one day. And as much as we'd like to, for it to be out of sight, out of mind, a lost father will never be out of mind. Nor will a rape, a disease, a name we were called, an abuse, or a lost childhood. The beauty of what a father isn't, wasn't, uh, is wasn't powerful to me until I was able to acknowledge that without one, something was and continues to be terribly wrong. Not because he didn't teach me to ride a bike or coach my little league team, not because he would never wrap me up in a towel after a bath or press his hand up against mine to show me how strong he was. But because without him, something in my DNA was not right and has never been right. This is not about feeling broken forever, but is also not about pretending our scars are invisible. It is about accepting reality. You were born without an arm. Your child didn't survive. You were not book smart and you never will be. You have a skin disease. He left you because he didn't love you. It's depression, bipolar, chronic fatigue, cancer, Down syndrome. Down syndrome. Yes, we can live with them. And yes, we can be better because of them. The world may even benefit from our loss, from our ability to cope, to push through, to rise above and show others the way. But there is still 
the loss. I suppose you could propose another theory, one that makes the pain go away forever. But it's been my experience that something has always been awry in me. Because the blood of my father is coursing through my veins. And the second we stood across from each other, blood to blood, and he didn't recognize his son, that blood ran cold. The dual ache that lingers has hollowed out a chamber in my heart. And in that space, if you were to listen closely, you'd hear the words, To whom do you belong? Echoing off the walls. To God, I suppose. And most of the time that is enough. Most of the time it is. But not all the time. Because one night the girls will be gone to the friend's house with my wife. Heather will be out late at work. And I will decide to get dinner on my own. I'll arrive at a restaurant carrying these buried wounds inside of me. And will just happen to see a father and his two sons of whom I know. And they will invite me to sit at their table. And without even knowing the wounds are there... I will sit down in the presence of all of that father and sonness. I will listen to the banter between them as they laugh, tease, and love one another. I will witness something I've never known. And as I watch their effortless dance between them, the hidden pain within me will shout into the chamber once again, to whom do you belong? This lifelong question reverberates within me. And each time it does, I am sad for a moment and then broken. But then I will cope push through, rise above, and show others the way. To whom do I belong? To God, I suppose. But I also belong to you, the broken. And I suppose you belong to me. As a church, as humanity, we are the fellowship of the broken. And if you remember the visual beginning of this message, that is us. We lose some, some go their separate ways. But we must remain true to each other and to the voice that speaks over us as a community. Because God's grace manifests itself in our community. And we need to personally keep space for God's voice. And that's what personal reflection time or or prayer time was about. But together we create space by forming a community without possessiveness. We create space by going out to the people in our community and allowing them to bless you. That there are people out there that need to give you their blessing. And so as a church, we need to reach up, spend time with God. To reach in, to spend time with each other and to reach out as we do life together. Next week, we're going to move into Jesus' most famous Sermon on the Mount. And begin to see what ministry fleshed out looks like for Jesus and how that will look like for us. And this is the story of God told to us by a tax collector. Join me in prayer. God, thank you for this story that we are invited into. May we engage it. May it be real for us. As we seek time to spend with you, to commune with you, to to reach up and worship Speak that voice over us. Let us hear that voice, that whisper amongst the storm in our life. God, as we reach in and we form community, break down walls and barriers that we've built, anxiety and stress about about being in relationship. God, may we find our identity in you as you call us the beloved and as we seek to be in relationship with others. And then you've called us into ministry. You've given us a mission to go out, to proclaim the gospel, and we need to do this together. 
God, thank you for the opportunity we have to be here, to be free to, to serve and to worship and to, 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 to join together. But let us not forget that this happens beyond these walls, that you've sent us and we must go. And we do that humbly. In your name we pray. Amen.